Good morning, everybody. So good to see you all. Welcome, welcome to you. And uh, my goodness sakes, I feel with you the, uh, the weightiness of the weekend. Oh, I know it's all about joy and happiness, and it is that. But I'm thinking about all the young ones among us, those of you who are going to be celebrating with children and grandchildren, not to put any pressure on you, but just remember, you are forming all their little memories of what Christmas is all about. All the words that are said, all the moments that are had, uh, how much you value the piles of ribbons and uh, wrapping paper, all over the place, that mess, and the cookie on the floor, it's going to get grounded. You are forming their memories uh, even now. So uh, warning, um, make sure you do that well. Um, Sometimes for some of our kids, this could be the first Christmas they remember, right? They go, I remember when I was young. It was that one. And you want to make sure, of course, that it's a good one. So welcome. Welcome to all of you. Welcome to those of you on our live stream. Glad you're with us as well. I'd love to have you take your Bibles and uh, your sermon notes, and we will get into it as to what we're going to be looking at this morning on this uh, Christmas Eve Sunday. God's promises are based on grace, you see, is my title this morning. And uh, just to bring us all up to speed, you will perhaps remember that here at Sunset Bible Church, we we work on a seven-year rotating plan that tells seven key moments in the history of redemption. And so this year is year one, and so we have been talking throughout Advent about Abraham and Sarah and how the story of Abraham and Sarah and their the, the life experience with God, the promises he made to them, their response of faith, how that leads leads us toward Christmas. And so uh, this is this morning is your final dose of Abraham and Sarah, you know, for seven years. And then we'll be back. And by then, it'll all be new because you will have, well... Never mind. (laughs) Job security, they call that. (laughs) Well, I would like to pray for us. Uh, We have good things to look at this morning, and I'm glad that you're here. But join me, please, as we pray. Our Father, thank you so much for the morning, not only uh, this morning, the evening ahead, uh, this weekend, the chance to celebrate with family and friends tomorrow. Uh, We're so grateful. We have so many things to be grateful for. I thank you for those joining us today, uh, elsewhere or later, for our staff preaching at Central and Grace and Temple Baptist this morning. Pray your blessing on those congregations as well, as uh, they are encouraged with uh, very similar thoughts from the Word of God. But we trust all of this to you and ask for your help. Bless our our time together. Bless our children uh, this weekend, uh, their little minds uh, looking with wonder at some of these uh, amazing things and certainly piles of gifts, however it goes in our families. But impress on their little hearts and minds, our Father, the, the, the meaning behind this big celebration, the point of Christmas, the coming of Jesus to be our Savior, Redeemer, and friend. Help us now in these moments in your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as always, your sermon notes give you a little bit of background, uh, looking at that section called Exploring the Season of Advent, and then the season or the section below that, uh, a little bit of an introduction to, to where we've been and where we're going. Three headings that I want to comment on, and you see those there before you, but I'm going to go back to Genesis 12 and read again what we've called the Abrahamic Covenant, that, that, that uh, promise that God made to Abraham and to Sarah, and we'll touch on a few things here and then move 
move toward New Testament and, again, kind of uh, bring a summary to our comments throughout this Advent season. But, but I have this heading. <laughs> You'll understand if you've been with us. Fortunately, God's promise to Abraham was by grace. That's kind of the first movement here. Uh, God's promises to Abraham were by grace, and it's a jolly good thing, may I say. So I want to read Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3, and then we'll touch on a couple of other elements as well here in this story. So we see then, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And of course, during this month, we have uh, drilled down into this and looked at a lot of surrounding material, and we have as well remembered from the Abraham story the roots of some of our current conflicts in the world. Isn't that right? Uh, Isaac shows up, and then Ishmael shows up, uh, the father of the Arab nations, and my goodness sakes, we've been at it ever since. So there's a lot of history uh, explaining the world today that rises from the story of Abraham. But we've seen in this, in this little pair. Paragraph, God promised to Abram three things, three categories. Land, the land, not just some parcel, but the land, descendants, and blessing. Abraham would be blessed. There would be blessing to him. And we've seen that in the text. And God was planning to bless the world through Abraham and his descendants. And, of course, uh, over the weeks we have looked at Galatians 3, where the Apostle Paul grabs that phrase and says to, about that, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And the Apostle Paul points that to Christ and says, indeed, uh, Christ himself, the blessing to the nations. As the gospel goes, the story of Jesus goes to the ends of the earth. Um, but but we've, we've seen here then this promise was by grace. If you note, I'll look on your sermon notes, just a couple of elements here. Uh, that first little sub point, there's no record of Abraham and Sarah doing amazing things to earn this. And I'm going to be pressing on that issue this morning. If you're wondering what the whole point is this morning, that's really it. Uh, just as with Abraham and Sarah, there was nothing that could deserve the favor of God. So now down through all these years, God's forgiveness and blessing to us, it comes the same way. That is, it doesn't come because you earn it. Okay? Forgiveness by God doesn't come because you earn it. It never did. It didn't come that way with Abraham and Sarah. It doesn't come that way with us. The common, I think the common way of viewing relationship with God here in America is kind of what you'd call the Smith-Barney approach. You understand. If you remember the, you remember the commercial? Oh, man, it's going to date me. It's been a few years. We make our money the old-fashioned way. We see, uh huh. Everybody over about sixty. Because I remember that commercial. We make our money the old-fashioned way. We earn it. And I would suggest that a lot of people view a relationship with God that way. You know, if I'm ever to get to God's heaven, I'll get there the old-fashioned way. I'll earn it. You know, generally be nice, give money to good causes, don't, you know, do egregiously bad things, don't end up on the most wanted list, be nice to puppy dogs and uh, you know older folks. You know, don't do awful things. You, you kind of behave, and in the end, God kind of weighs it all out and says, you're one of the good people. Welcome to heaven. And we go, see, it worked. And 
my big issue this morning, of course, is this. Way back from the beginning, even as illustrated here in Abraham and Sarah, we see the principle of by grace through faith. In fact, they, they didn't earn it. They couldn't have earned God's favor. You ready? Nor can you. Nor can you. Okay? So that whole picture I painted, be nice, etc. I'm not saying don't do those things. Please be nice. I'm just saying you don't get one minute of heaven by being nice. By grace through faith. And it's illustrated in the life of Abraham. So you look at my notes here. Now, I want to go then. You're in Genesis 12. I'm going to shift to a couple different places just to illustrate this. I'm going to go to Genesis 15 here and just remember with you what's going on. And then we're going to shift to 17 and remember again each of these texts we have touched on a bit. In Genesis 15, this is another repeating of the promise from God to Abraham. This is the moment where Abraham is talking to God in saying, you know, this whole business of descendants, you know, the story, uh, Abraham and Sarah were not spring chickens. I, I, I've never been a farmer. I really don't know what a spring chicken is other than young. That's the point of it. Well, somebody will tell me later, oh, well, the spring chickens, you know, I get it. You don't eat them till October. Well, spring chickens, they were, they were not, they were not young and they hadn't had any children. And so this business of descendants was extremely personal. And in this text, Genesis 15, verse 3, Abram says, hey, uh, God, remember that descendants part? Yeah, um, the years are flying by. I haven't seen any yet. And right now, if I were to die, one of my servants would be the heir of my house. So what about all that? And this is the moment when God takes Abram outside in verse 5. That's what I'm looking at. And he says, look to the sky. If you've ever done that, apart from all the, the bleed over of city lights, as, as many of us have had privilege to do, way out. And, of course, that's the way it was back then. No airports nearby. No cities to, to wa- send their ambient light to wash out the stars, to really see the Milky Way. And God, you see the stars? Count them if you can so shall your descendants be. And then you have that wonderful verse that is prototypical of the whole message of the Bible. Abraham, what is it? Believed God. He trusted the word of God. Abraham believed God and God counted it to him, credited to him as righteousness. And that verse, man, if you could put that on a a billboard or or social media nowadays, uh, bold underscore capital letters, it's, it's, it's telling us something. Abraham believed the promise of God. He didn't see evidence of it. No kids yet. He believed what God said. And God credited to his account, like a bank account, righteousness. See? Now, that's a really, really big deal. Um, of course, then what follows is this very interesting story we looked at a couple weeks ago where there's, it's called the cutting of a covenant. It involves animals and, and blood and sacrifice and God alone. It's like he swore on, on the, the death of those animals. It's kind of like we would say, put your hand on my mother's Bible, that kind of a thing. It was a serious deal. And God himself, by a, a symbol of a light, walked through. He made the covenant only himself. It was not a covenant with two, a bilateral covenant. It was a unilateral covenant. God said, no, no, I will keep this promise based on me alone. It's not about you. I'll keep my end even if you don't. That's the point of that chapter. 
And so chapter 15. Now, I moved to chapter 17 just to pick up a couple of details. These are all really significant. So, so here's the moment. Abraham's 99. Yeah, 99 years old. God changes his name. Um, they're heading toward having a, a child. God tells him later on in, in verse, uh, verse 15, uh, Sarah's name is going to change, and you're going to have a child, he says in those verses that follow. God says, you're going to have a child with Sarah, not any other way, the two of you. And it's going to be a year from now. You're going to have this child in your arms. But from this chapter, I want to press on one detail. Okay? Each of these pieces is significant. The New Testament makes a really big deal about the order of the events in Genesis 17. In our preaching here, one of the things we try to do is point out things that will help all of us make sense of the rest of the Bible. Okay? Because I view my job as not only just to tell you stuff, but to help you be better equipped to make sense of it yourself. When you read the Bible, so you're going, oh, I remember that. That makes sense of this. And indeed, the order of events in chapter 17, Genesis, uh, Paul makes a big deal out of it in, in Romans Four. So he's pointing back to this moment. So, so I don't want to move away from this without pointing out. And, and what Paul is talking about in Romans 4 is this. This is the initiation of what we, a big deal in the Bible, the covenant of circumcision. I know, kind of a weird thing to our modern minds. It wasn't a weird thing back then. It was about God's promise to your descendants. And it was very vivid, a reminder, we're talking about your descendants here. Okay? So it certainly emphasized that issue. But God was saying to them here, Faith came first. Obedience came second. He makes a big deal about the order of those events. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That happened first. Obedience to a covenant came second. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, my opinion on that issue is the chicken. <laughs> And in the order of faith, it's faith comes first, not works. And that's what I was addressing a minute ago. Here in America, I think we get it backwards. We end up thinking works come first and then hopefully forgiveness later. And, and just like, in my humble opinion, chicken first, then the egg. Don't ask me to explain it. <laughs> faith comes first. Works come second. And that's a big deal for the, all the rest of the, of the Bible. And I just am pointing out here in Genesis 17, that's the case. Now, if you look at my third bullet point before we, before we leave Genesis, I, I just look at that third element down there. As God's promise unfolded in years to come, other people would sit in amazement when they realized what God said. And I just point you ahead two years in our series. We go Abraham, covenant, uh, Abrahamic covenant. Next year, we'll look at the story of Ruth, the kinsman redeemer. We'll look at that wonderful little short story and see Jesus there. And the year after that, we go to King David. And there's a moment, 2 Samuel 7, when we preach that series, you'll get extremely familiar again with 2 Samuel 7. That's a place where God says to King David, one of your descendants will sit on the throne forever. Now, that's an enormous promise, ultimately fulfilled in King Jesus, who does sit on the throne forever. Abraham, I'm sorry, David looked at that and thought, how in the world can that be? One of my descendants will sit on the throne forever? I don't understand it, but there's a place in 2 Samuel 7. Here's what I'm after. It's like he sat before the Lord, and he said, 
that is an amazing promise. That is, it's like too good to be true. And he says, how can it be? Oh God, who am I? Who is my family that you've brought us this far? God, how can you keep, what is that promise all about? And then he says, God, keep it, do it, <laughs> just do it. I don't know how, but please do it. My point is, David realized the importance of what God was, was telling him. And it caused great awe to run over his soul. And may I say to you, to, to you and to me today, Christmas Eve, the awareness of what God has done in sending his son rather than just being some big party weekend, should create some sense of awe in your heart that God would send his son into this world, leaving the glory of heaven, worshipped by angels, perfect place, that Jesus would come and be born in a humble family, in a, in a place where he's not uh, recognized for who he is, not celebrated, a dusty place, dirty place, cattle. My goodness sakes, what is all this? Grow up and live a perfect life and let the creatures he made and knew by name nail his body to a cross, beat him within an inch of his life. The amazement that God would do this so that you and I could be forgiven is stunning. Hallelujah. Yeah. And, and if you realize, look at what God has done so that one day you and I can be in God's heaven I, I, I firmly believe a whole lot of things are going to shift in the 30, first 30 seconds. You know, really, when you, when you enter heaven, I think a lot of things are going to shift. Our priorities, the stuff we thought was important like 30 seconds before, gone. I was really worked up over that at that Christmas season. Let it go, sister. Today it doesn't matter at all. Like, none. That person who said, looked at me, uh, poked, wouldn't talk. Forget it. Just forget it. No. A new day will have dawned. I suspect that first 30 seconds in God's heaven will shift a lot of things for us. And in particular, a sense of awe and gratefulness like you and I have never experienced. That I... By grace alone, God's goodness alone, can enter this place. Oh, buddy. This is all right. Awe and wonder. Well, I think King David got it. And I suspect in some of these moments, Abraham and Sarah, though not seeing all the details, I think they got it too. Um, just like David said, who am I? I suspect at this moment as God says, look at the stars. Look at the stars, Abraham. Your descendants will be like that. And Abraham believed it. They're looking at the night sky. And he said, God, I'm going to take you at your word. Yes, do it. I believe you. Well, that's an incredible moment. Now, I want to shift then. If you have a Bible and you're following along, wonderful. I'm going to go to Romans 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, no problem. I'll read several of these significant uh, texts. But I'm going to go to Romans, actually Romans 3, first of all. It's, and I'm moving to that second heading, God's promises to sinners. That's, that would be us are always by grace through faith. So what was true with Abraham and Sarah, true for us today. And I, I just want to press on why that would be the case. So you come to Romans 3, and what you find starting in verse 9 and down through verse 20 is, is one of the, the clearest explanations of what's wrong with this world. 
if you're like a person who sometimes at the holidays looks around and says, what's, you know, what's wrong with this place? Or as we sometimes say when we hear about um, uh, robberies and cars being smashed into, we say, what's wrong with people? You ever say that? What's wrong with people these days? Hey, uh, Romans 3 will tell you. <laughs> Here's what's wrong with people. And it's not only them. Ultimately, as you see the conclusion arrive in verses 19 and 20, it's what's wrong with, with, with us. One great theologian years ago was asked by somebody, what's wrong with this world? He famously answered, I am. And this is what he meant. So Romans 3, just to read the first couple of verses here. Verse 9, he's, Paul is explaining what's wrong with everybody. Jews, Gentiles, Jews, non-Jews, etc. Are we Jews any better off, he says, as a Jewish man? No, not at all. For we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, or Jews and non-Jews, all of us are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. That is, in terms of righteousness, no one does good, not even one. Meaning no one does good 100% of the time in thought, word, and deed. No one. No one does. And, and what follows is a line-upon-line line reminder that whatever is going on in our hearts typically comes out our mouth. We say things. Come on, it isn't just those other people who say things they shouldn't say and say things they don't mean. It's, it's you and me. We do too. Um, maybe you're better at controlling your little tongue than everybody else in the world. I doubt it. But, but, but you know, this, whatever that stuff is, it, it comes out. We say things and we go, oh, maybe we say that. Maybe it's not till later mulling it over or somebody saying, well, you know, it comes out our mouth. Mouth speaks from what fills the heart. The problem isn't ultimately our mouth. We try to say, well, I'll just, I'll do better. Yeah, well, guess what the Bible says? The Bible says those things don't just come from your lips. Your problem isn't with your mouth. The problem is with your heart. If you have critical words, it comes from a, are you ready? <laughs> a critical heart. If you have a cynical mouth, you have a cynical heart. That's where the words come from. It comes from within. And, and it shouldn't just cause you to say, boy, I'm bad. That's not the point. The point is I need Jesus to help me. I need his forgiveness. Wow. Down to verses 19 and 20. That every mouth may be stopped and the whole world held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, do you see this in verse 20? By the works of the law, no human being will be justified or declared righteous in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So all the rules, all the do's and don'ts, it, it, you can't keep them all. You can't keep them all, but they point to the fact that you can't keep them all. <laughs> and rather than creating depression, it's supposed to push you to Jesus. That's, that's the whole point here. It's supposed to push you to Jesus. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And you say, wow, what do I do about, what do I do about myself? And the answer is you run to Christ. Uh, verses 21. Uh, Verses 21 to about verse 25, 26, I think it's one of the clearest paragraphs in the whole Bible about what God has done in sending his son. This business of righteousness, the righteousness of God apart from the law has been revealed. Verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are declared righteous. That's the idea behind justification and are justified, declared right by a holy God. Do you see this? By, by his grace as a gift. That's Christmas. 
It's Jesus coming, his death on the cross, resurrection from the dead, his atoning sacrifice by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation, cool word meaning satisfaction, satisfaction of the righteous requirements of God. Jesus paid it by his death on the cross, his blood shed for us to be received by faith. So Paul is just laying it out. It's, and, and then you get to, to chapter four. I'm not going to read it all. We've referenced this in the last couple of weeks. Then he uses Abraham as an illustration of that. He said, do you see Abraham? Remember, remember Abraham? And then he quotes Genesis 15:6. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And that's the way it works today. That's Paul's point here in verse 3 of, of chapter 4. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Look at my sermon notes for just a moment here. God's promises to sinners are always by grace through faith. Always, I've said. Uh, so some bullet points here. Why is that true? Well, because not only were Abram and Sarah and King David broken and fallen people, we are too. I hope, I hope you can quickly acknowledge that about yourself. Our capacity to earn God's favor, forgiveness, or his eternal heaven stands exactly and precisely at zero. That would be if you've looked ahead to the little fill-in notes at the bottom, like I always do, too. Fill them in before we start so I don't have to write them out throughout. Yeah, zero. Zero chance. Zero chance. You know, I just read an article today about the chances of snow coming up in the next few months. Looking, well, it doesn't say zero, but they're pretty low. It ain't looking good. I was like, well, oh, come on, people. Chances of you getting to heaven all by yourself? Zero. <coughs> Truly zero. Ain't going to happen. You mean at the end of my life, God can't weigh it out? And can, yeah, yeah, you know what? That weighing process wouldn't go well for you. Yeah, because all it takes on the one side is one sin. And I think we crushed that a long time ago. See? So one, one, one sin. Even if you were good 99% of the rest of the time, which I highly doubt, zero. Chances of you being forgiven by God because you deserved it. No. Always by grace through faith. The human heart tends to think works instead of grace only because, listen, grace only. For some people, they find it an insult to their pride. That's what they find. You mean to tell me all the good stuff I do doesn't count for anything? I mean, come on. I work so hard. Maybe I shouldn't work so hard to be this nice person. Like, well, frankly, you're probably not working at it as hard as you think you are, uh, if I can be blunt. But, but, but no, in terms of earning, earning heaven, yeah, no, sorry, it doesn't work like that. Sorry if it's an insult to your pride. Not intended to be. Songwriters, here are just two. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. The songwriter said. Yeah, I, I, empty hands. Nothing to bring to God to say, here, I deserve, I deserve, what are you going to bring? The songwriter says it right, you have nothing, nothing in my hands I bring. 
The only way ever to receive forgiveness from God is to receive it by grace through faith. When we say faith, there are other words here. That's why I gave you a couple others here. Other, other, other ways of saying faith. It means people use that word in kind of interesting ways. But believing, trusting, those would be synonyms. Believing, trusting what God says. Believing the message of the Bible about Jesus, what he's done on our behalf and my need for this. Good works then, concluding this section, good works, that is acts of obedience, as illustrated in Genesis 15 with Abraham, 17 rather, should be the result of being forgiven by God. Good works do not contribute to our forgiveness. Okay, are we clear on this? So important, lest you stand at heaven's door someday and say, but wait, I earn it. I earned it and are sadly disappointed. Final movement then, even today, I'm saying God's forgiveness must be received by faith. It must be received by faith. And I'm pointing here to verses that uh, certainly in Genesis 15 that we looked at already, Abraham believed God. Similarly, the Gospel of John, one of those four tellings of the story of Jesus in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John has as a key word, believe. That's one of the key words in his whole telling of the story of Jesus is believe, believe, believe. And he keeps saying it. And sometimes it's synonyms, trust. But he says at the end of his book, these things, the story of Jesus that I've, I've produced here, these are written that you may believe for the purpose. I'm after you believing that Jesus is the Christ. And so that by believing, you may have life in his name. So in other words, being a Christian isn't just about going to church and you know, carrying a Bible and singing songs and saying, I'll, I'll follow that and see what happens. No, no, to be, to be capital C Christian, that is to truly be part of the family of God, it involves a response of our hearts to what the Bible says, believing by trusting the work of Christ. So I'm trusting Christ and his work alone, not myself not my behaving, not my goodness, not my family heritage, not my grandmother's faith, because she was pretty good. No, trusting you, each person, trusting Christ and him alone as your savior from sin. Acts 16, 31, great story being told there. That's the place where this, this one guy says, what must I do to be saved, to be forgiven by God? And that's where the apostle Paul answers so clearly, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe, trust Christ, trust him alone as your savior from sin. I go down to my section called Responding to God's Word. I, I couldn't help putting in this quote from the book of Job, which is you, perhaps you know, probably the oldest book in the Bible. It's not the first book in the Bible, um, but just the way the sections lay out, probably the book of Job, many Bible scholars would suggest, is the oldest book in the Bible for a whole lot of reasons we come to that conclusion. And there's this interesting question asked there, and I had to include the last line. How can a man be right before God? How can he who's born of woman be pure? Behold, even the moon is not bright. Like, wait, hold on. You're not talking about me. I'm, the moon isn't bright? The stars are not pure in his sight. How much less man, wow, who is a maggot. It's in the Bible. And the son of man who is a worm. Now, it's a person expressing himself. And often things are expressed in the Bible. You go, man, that's pretty harsh. But, but the point is correct, isn't it? I'm not a maggot. Yeah, he's just saying small, not significant. And you're not going to reach any lower than that, huh? If he'd said German shepherds, you'd go, well, I don't know. Those are pretty cool. No, man who is, and he's going as low as he can. How, how can a person be right with God? 
Um, how can you be right with God? If you, yeah, it's, it's the blood of Jesus only. It's his work. And ultimately, that's the answer to that question. How can anybody be right with God? Yeah, it's the work of Christ and him alone. And then I'll just close with this. Uh, as you look at the different gospel accounts, tellings of the story of Jesus, uh, there in Matthew's gospel is that, that moment where the governor Pilate asks a, a gathered crowd that question. What shall I do then with Jesus? He's been delivered up, and the crowd, you know, people are asking him to be crucified. And this is the moment where Pilate says, what do you want me to do with Jesus? And, of course, that question is echoed down through the ages, indeed, as one to be asked of every person, including you here today. What shall we do? What shall you do with this one who is called Jesus? There were those in the crowd that day who said, crucify away with him. And the call of, of the Bible is, to, is to, to you and to me is that in answer to that question, what shall I do with Jesus who called Christ, is that we would trust him, his work on the cross in our place. We would trust him as our savior from sin. And we would put all our eggs in that basket. See, that's, that's to believe, to trust Christ in him alone. It's, I'm putting all my eggs in that basket. I'm not saying, you know, I'll trust Jesus and then I'll, you know, try to earn a little, just in case, kind of like a backup plan. <laughs> yeah. Say, scrap the backup plan. It's stinking things up. See, you bring along a, a garbage can, garbage bag full of trash. How about this? You know, the message of the gospel is, is put it all down and, and it's Christ in him alone. Christ in him alone. I hope that from the story of Abraham and Sarah this Advent season, that that theme has risen to the top. You've been with us the whole time. We've been to Genesis 15, 6 a couple of times on purpose so that in your study of the Bible all the way through these years, as you read the Bible and you see Abraham and you catch things by grace through faith, you'd say in your own heart of hearts, that's like Abraham in Genesis 15, 6. And indeed, that's the message of the Bible. I'm going to pray for us. This would be a moment, if you're not sure where you stand with God, for you to say, I want to be with Abraham. I want to trust. I want to trust. In this case, trust from the New Testament. I want to trust the work of Jesus and him alone. If, if you've never voiced that clearly to God, this is the moment from your heart to him uh, this Christmas time to say, God, I believe Jesus died for me. Trust Christ, him alone, as your Savior from sin. Would you stand with me, please, as we pray together? Father, I thank you for each person who's come out this morning, those joining us online, those who will join us later through a recording, each one of us known to you by name, the details of our life, our families. I thank you for this day, today, and tomorrow as we gather with family and friends, or big crowd or small crowd, some maybe alone. But nonetheless, not alone, we rest in your presence. I pray that each of us would, would see with awe your work on our behalf, the work that we celebrate at this Christmas time, the coming of Jesus into this world, to be our sin bearer, to go to a cross that we deserve, to pay the ultimate price for our sins so we could be forgiven. And Father, I pray that if there's one here in the room or again listening later or listening online who would say, I've never really said it that clearly to God or I've never sensed that same pull today. Today I want to respond to God, maybe for the first time. I'm going to trust Christ and him alone. All my eggs in that basket. 
trusting Christ and him alone as my Savior from sin. Father, do that great work in us. It is yours to do. We ask it of you. Even as Jesus said, I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men and women to, to me. Do that, Father, I pray today. Bless us these days. Give us great joy as we celebrate. In Jesus' name, amen.